Click Z podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. I think at the moment within the wider marketing industry, there's definitely not a sufficient understanding of blockchain. I don't think you have to understand the technology. I think you have to understand the implications of the technology. This is the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast. And today I'll be talking to Jeremy Epstein and finding out what CMOs need to know about the blockchain. Jeremy Epstein is CEO of Never Stop Marketing and has over 20 years of international marketing experience, bringing innovative technologies into the mainstream, including being VP Marketing at Sprinkler, which grew to a 1.8 billion valuation after only four years. Jeremy is passionate about blockchain and specifically its potential to empower consumers and revolutionize marketing. As one of the thought leaders in this emerging space, he has written numerous articles and books and regularly speaks at conferences around the world. Jeremy also works with some of the leading and most innovative companies in the blockchain and decentralized space, including Open Bazaar, Zcash, IOTA, Storage, and Decor. So, Jeremy, I'd like to welcome you to the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast. It's an honor to be here, sir. Thanks for having me. Really keen to get into your insights. I know you've got plenty of experience and lots of passion for blockchain and its application to marketing. But I wonder whether, first of all, we could just get into your story a little bit. Could you tell us what have been the highlights and the themes in your career? Sure. So, my passion is really about the challenge of taking disruptive technologies that I think are ultimately beneficial for society and business and trying to figure out the way to get them over the proverbial chasm into the mainstream so that other people can benefit it from it as well. Uh, most recently, I was head of marketing at a company called Sprinkler, which is deep in the social media space. And I was there uh, in that role from the time that we were about 30 people with a $20 million valuation to about 1,400 people and a $1.8 billion uh, valuation. So I uh, had a front row seat on the mainstreamification, if you will, of social media into everyone's lives. And I think at this point, most people would agree that social media is kind of pretty much part of our lives. So I feel like that mission was kind of accomplished for the most part. And um, then it was time to go find find the next mission, which is how I ended up in uh, the world of uh, Bitcoin and, and blockchain. I think one of the great things about technology at the moment is that there's so much which it offers, so much potential, not just for individuals, but for, for marketers and businesses. One of those big areas which I hear so much about now is blockchain. And just so we're all on the same page, could you give us a quick definition of what the blockchain actually is? Sure. Uh, at, at its very simple, um, basic level, we're talking about uh, a decentralized database that um, stores information in a ledger across the entire network and provides very clear rules for how information can be appended to the information uh, to the database, um, and also provides a cryptographic-based uh, security to ensure that previous entries to that ledger cannot be modified uh, or deleted, which then essentially provides much greater security to all the people whose assets are recorded on that de decentralized uh, ledger. So um, I tell people understanding how the blockchain works in terms of 
Merkle trees and SHA-256 hashes and all of those things. That's cool. Um, but I think what's really interesting is the implications of the fact that it actually does work because now we, for the first time ever, have a way to transfer items of value, assets, um, from one person to another at scale uh, directly without the need for a centralized intermediary and to do it possibly faster, uh, cheaper, and with less risk. And that's a pretty big deal. It is. And it seems to be one of those things which is often confused in people's minds between blockchain and the uses of blockchain, the most famous of which is obviously Bitcoin. Uh, and people are now starting to become a bit more aware of Bitcoin. But I do hear marketers often confuse those two. In terms of the, the sort of milestones in blockchain's development, what for you have been the, the major developments over the last couple of years that have made blockchain so popular? Yeah, well, obviously, the, the first first milestone is January 3rd, 2009, um, when uh, as a history major, I realized it was a pretty big deal to make this statement, but um, I believe the, the course of history for the world changed dramatically because that was the day that the uh, Genesis block of the Bitcoin blockchain uh, was released into the wild. So for me, that's the first um, milestone. Um, and then there have been a number along the way, but if you just look past over the last uh, year or so, you know, and today, if, if uh, you know, we've been watching Bitcoin pass through the $7,000 barrier for the first time. So that's certainly uh, another milestone. But if you look back over the last um, year or so, I think there have been a number of them. Um, the fact that uh, people like Jamie Dimon uh, uh, are making comments about Bitcoin means uh, that it's, you know, into the mainstream of awareness. I happen to think he's wrong. But that's a milestone. I think before going back before that, how China uh, has responded to um, Bitcoin in terms of people trying to get their money out of China and, uh, and them implying um, uh, imposing capital controls. That was a milestone. I think when you see the breakdown of people's trust in their fiat currencies in places like Venezuela uh, and Turkey, uh, Zimbabwe and all these places um, where people are saying, wow, I can now protect the value that I've worked so hard to create um, in a decentralized uh, digital store of value that's outside the reach of a government, either from a corrupting or from an inflationary perspective. And then, of course, I think the whole ICO um, boom that we've witnessed, which I sort of have as the first big one this year was Gnosis, which kind of got on everyone's radars. This is a decentralized predictive market. Um, but basically, within a few weeks of being launched, hit a ridiculous valuation of $3 billion. So, you know, over the, the, the last year or so, as Bitcoin has passed through its previous record high, which was around, you know, 1200 back, you know, a couple years ago when before the Mt. Gox scandal, and it's moved through the 1000, 2000, 3000 barrier all the way up to 7000, as people in countries where um, they don't have faith in their government, have started to rely and trust Bitcoin um, uh, en masse as governments and people like Jamie Dimon have responded and tried to uh, you know, repress what I consider to be inevitable technology. Um, all of those, I think, are significant milestones uh, along the way um, in the mainstreamification, if you will, uh, of Bitcoin. And I think the fact that it's the first killer app, if you will, of the blockchain world 
um, has accelerated the awareness and understanding of the potential for blockchains multiple uses beyond just Bitcoin. Now, just to pick up on a couple of things you were talking about there, one of the big advantages of Bitcoin is it is decentralized, as you mentioned. So it's international. It allows individuals to take control of currency without having to rely upon banks or governments. But the, the counterpoint to that is that criminal gangs have also been able to use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to um, to effectively fund their organizations. Is it something which we are, have we sort of let the genie out of the bottle without sufficient regulation, do you think? Look, bad people are going to do bad things no matter what. There's much more criminal activity in cash than there is in Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency right now. And I think for people who are interested in maintaining civil society and civilization, we have to figure out a way to stop the bad guys. But that's not a reason to poo-poo the entire innovation, because in my opinion, um, the, the pros of the decentralizing technology far outweigh the cons. And yes, it's going to require law enforcement and people who are generally law-abiding citizens to figure out a way to um, police and um, prevent uh, criminals from harming us. That's true no matter what innovation we have. Um, but to me, it, it's it, getting caught up in that is is you know making um, is spending too much time on the wrong things. We have to fix it. We have to. We don't want people to have their life savings stolen from them. There there is a room for healthy regulation for sure. Um, but we don't want to throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. Okay, yeah, and I think that's a good point that actually far too often technology can be seen as being a force for bad because it's unregulated. But of course, now this has reached such a mainstream level, it's so international and actually it's really up to the individuals um, to, to define how they want to use uh, the blockchain. I wanted to ask you, who do you think has been driving the innovation? Is the innovation coming from large corporations, from startups, from governments, or is it being driven by consumers themselves? I think it's it's the startups and the, the early adopters and the evangelists. I think uh, corporations are starting to understand the potential and pay attention for sure. Uh, governments, I think, are trying to get their head around it, some of them faster than others. You know, I don't. I think most consumers are not pushing it. I think it's the people who start to explore and understand the potential of the technology. And I think if you talk to people in this space, and I just I lead a quarterly trip to Crypto Valley, which is uh, Zug, Switzerland, which is sort of the the spiritual home of decentralization, if you will. And we take about thirty five people, and these people have to apply. So we take about thirty five people on the crypto explorers trip to Zug and we meet with all the movers and shakers there, you know, and, and you sort of talk to these people about uh, uh, what's happening. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just really fascinating because we talk about this concept of the flippening, which is, and this is sort of on our day one where everyone's like, okay, what was that moment when you realized you were totally hooked, hooked on crypto? And every single person has a moment where they sort of wake up and they're like, oh my God, this is just better. And then they can't go back. There's no going back from that. It's like taking the blue pill or the red pill, whatever pill that Neo took in the Matrix. You know, <laughs> you take the pill and it's and it's over. So I think, and then not only do you do you sort of see the wisdom, and yes, there there's definitely potential downsides to it for sure. I'm not saying it's perfect, but this thing's not going away. To your point, but once you kind of see the potential, then 
you just want to evangelize it to everybody else. I mean, that's kind of what's powerful about Bitcoin and a lot of these protocols is that the word of mouth triggers that incentivize people to go out and evangelize it to their networks are built in because, you know, taking Bitcoin, they're 21 million Bitcoin. And I believe fundamentally that it's a, a much better store of value in the long term. And if I can convince you that it's better, you're going to, you know, go out and get one and increasing demand and fixed supply. You don't need to be a PhD from the London School of Economics to understand how that works. Right. And that's what's happening. So I think it's the early adopters and the technologists and the startups who are saying, OK, how can I push this forward? And that's led because, you know, you're getting a 15 X return, even if you're the most stodgy financier you've got to be if you have any brains whatsoever you have to go look at this thing and say wait a second i have an asset over class over here that's appreciated in value basically from like what seven hundred dollars last year to seven thousand dollars this year at the same time well either all of these people are ridiculously stupid which yes that's possible or there's something going on and i should probably take a look at it you know, and, and then you're like, once you have a serious approach to really looking at it, yeah, there's some people who conclude it doesn't work or people like Buffett who say, you know what, I don't want to invest in something I don't understand. I can respect that because it's not simple to understand and it is a huge paradigm shift. But if you're willing to invest the time, which it takes a lot because it's not easy and part of my mission as a marketer is to try to make it easier for people to feel comfortable with this because I do ultimately think that a decentralized world is going to be better for everybody. Um, but once you do that, then you're like, God, this just this is stuff's inevitable. And then you just start getting a little crazy. You know, my brother's like, you drank too much Kool-Aid, which I probably have. But, you know, that's kind of that's kind of how I think this thing rolls out. And then you sort of say, OK. How can government get involved? How can corporations get involved? And so on and so forth. So that's where I, that's how I think this thing sort of has been picking up steam. Great. Well, that's been excellent to get a, a bit of context for how the blockchain environment has, has grown over the last four or five years and how there's increasingly now other non-cryptocurrency, non-monetary um, uses which we're using the blockchain for. And in a minute, we're going to get into some of those and look look a bit more into the future and see what are the big areas which, are, which you're excited about coming next. Well, we're going to take a quick break there. Hi there, it's Tim here, and I've got a favour to ask. If you're enjoying listening to the Clixie podcast today, could you please leave us a quick review? Just navigate to the review tab in iTunes or Stitcher and either share some stars or leave a comment. Not only would I be really, really grateful, but this also helps other people to discover the podcast. Thanks so much in advance. Now, back to the podcast. So before the break, we were looking at the landscape and how it's developed. And Jeremy, I know that you've published the blockchain marketing technology landscape, which currently looks a little bit sparse, a little bit empty. But I know you've also predicted that over the next few years, we're going to see some rapid growth in that sector. And I wanted to ask you, what areas, what are the three areas that you think are going to be most disrupted within marketing by blockchain over the next few years? Tim, you're, you're a very polite and uh, thoughtful uh, Englishman there, I think. And calling it a little bit sparse is pretty generous, man. It's really <laughs> sparse. It's like ridiculously sparse because, you know, it is. I mean, right now we're very, very early in this. But you're right. I think that we're going to have an explosion of 
uh, innovation when it comes to the marketing technology, blockchain based that you're going to see um, in you know both enterprise and SMB space. I mean, to me, the first one, and this is the one, if you look at the landscape that's the most crowded, is advertising because. You know, ask anyone in the, who has any familiarity whatsoever with the advertising, you know, technology ecosystem. They will tell you how just completely screwed up it is. You know, there's some studies I've seen that like 56 cents out of every dollar gets taken by middlemen on the way from a brand to a publisher. So if if you know, blockchain is built for uh, disrupting intermediary laden. Uh, businesses and and ecosystems, and that's what the advertising world looks like. There are a ton of intermediaries, and that just you know they have like a a blockchain sniper rifle crosshairs sit, pointed right at them. So it might take a while, but the pain is so great on the part of brands. I mean, you saw this, you know, the CMO of Procter and Gamble, who's like the world's biggest advertiser, basically saying like it's a total mess. And that was polite how I said it, I think. But you know, so I think advertising is definitely one. I think loyalty is another one because right now that's a very um, opaque, uh, difficult to track, hard to assess um, ecosystem. So again, we're bringing transparency. We're bringing. Uh, <clears throat> um, immutability, we're bringing sort of uh, interoperability to that. So I think advertising and loyalty, and I was thinking about this question as, as you were asking it, like, you know, the rest of the, the rest of the landscape, there are a lot of them, but I almost like I've started to see recently, like, I, I almost think like there's a way to get like influencer marketing, like this one, I'm going to go out a little bit on a limb on, like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm as confident on this one, but I think like, Influence. If you, if you talk to people in the, in marketing who try to understand influence, you know, there's the oh, all I need to do is get Kanye West or Kim Kardashian or Floyd Mayweather or whoever to endorse me and I'm good. And there's there's some you know value to that. But then there's a school of thought. Well, in a B two B scenario, I need sort of these thought leaders. But what you don't really know is well, who really has influence and how do you measure influence? Well, I could see a scenario where a publicly available profile. Um, that demonstrates your kind of reputation points as amassed, not just by Twitter followers, by, by sort of attestations that people actually trust your opinion on wine or marketing or whatever it is. Like that could be a really powerful kind of decentralized system that you could then monetize your influence and you could actually see the value that you either create or um, you know, what's the opposite of create? Destroy from your your own kind of overall influence score within a given audience. So I, I can't say I've thought that one through as much, but I think there's something there. But advertising to me is is, is right up there on the top of the list. I think loyalty's up there. Um, and then I think there are like, you know, I think there's others beyond that. But I'll take a shot that influencers is also because it's so hard to track um, and assess value. Uh, I think there might be something there down the road that we'll start to see. And in fact, I have one project I'm working on with with um, one of the clients I have where we're starting to look into that. So very early, but those would be my three, I guess. Yeah. And I think you've touched upon trust and transparency, which are two of the key things which all marketers and advertisers should be aware of. But 
uh, have, I think, paid lip surface to over the last couple of years. Um, Mark Pritchard, you mentioned from PNG, he's been very vocal um, about how we need to have more trust and more transparency. But I think for the rest of the ad industry, they're still lagging way behind and they're still happy to use the existing system with 70 cents in the, in the dollar going on the ad tech middleware, as you, as you mentioned before, um, because that's the only system they know. And the, the agencies, there's no real incentive for them to change that. But hopefully what blockchain might allow is a way of disintermediating um, those ad tech middlemen and providing a much more transparent solution. Are there any companies that you're currently aware of which are operating within that sort of space there, within the ad tech space to disintermediate and and bring more trust and transparency in? Oh yeah, there are a ton. I mean, uh, relatively speaking, I mean, you've got guys like Papyrus, uh, .global, they're one. You've got um, AdChain, you've got Nyax, you have Lydian, you have uh, Kochava, um, and those are just the five off the top of my head. There are probably another five who are going to yell at me when they hear this for having forgotten them because I've spoken to all of them. But yeah, I mean, there, there are a bunch of players already out there because, you know, uh, I'm but definitely not the smartest guy in the world, and I'm certainly not the only guy on the planet who's figured out how messed up advertising is. And there are a bunch of them who are like, look, th- we understand the advertising ecosystem, and we understand distributed ledger technology, um, you know, which is another way, probably a better way of saying blockchain because, um, well, we can talk about that on the next podcast, I suppose. But basically, they understand the technology and they see it and they're like, okay, well, this is obvious. And so they're trying to attack it. And um, yeah, I think um, you're, you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of people who are, who are interested in that. So um, yeah, I mean, it's if you look on the landscape again, it's it's the most crowded and I've already heard of a few more since I published it just because they're like hey how come we're not on there and I said okay you'll be on v2 when it comes out in in you know January February time frame so um yeah those are some that I think people if you're a marketer and you want to understand the future of advertising it's worth you know taking a look at some of those players taking a look at the landscape and um you know just trying to get your head around this because by decentralizing advertising a you take out a lot of those you know ssp dmps uh in the middle but also you you present the possibility for people to not only control their own data but basically get paid for watching advertising based on the types of ads that they actually want to see so it's like hey i want to see ads about shoes and every time i watch an ad about shoes i get paid 0.001 0.001 Bitcoin or Ether or Zcash or whatever it is from Nike or Under Armour or Reebok or whoever, and it goes directly to me, and then they can measure the effectiveness of that based on sort of, you know, how I respond kind of thing. But Now, that's an area I love talking about, which is about how consumers can take control of their personal data and effectively sell that data to advertisers or, or get paid for their attention. And I know there's Brave um, with their basic attention token also in that space where they're bringing in Ethereum-based um, micropayments back and forth between publishers and advertisers and, and consumers. Um, but I wanted to just kind of drill into another topic you, you touched upon there, which was permission. And you know, advertisers want to access a ton of data from consumers and consumers have a huge amount of data, not just the data we've been talking about from online but smart watches smart homes the internet of things advertisers want that data to target them um, but the consumers are 
I think actually also becoming quite reluctant to to share that data because they, frankly, you know, we've already talked about lack of trust with advertisers. The consumers are kind of saying, well, we don't trust you um, as evidenced by things like ad blockers as well. So we've got, although we've got this massive supply, potential supply of data, we've also got reluctance on behalf of the consumer. And it seems to be that that comes down to permission. Um, what role do you think the blockchain has in solving that permissioning consent problem? Yeah, you nailed it, man. I mean, I think, you know, 20 some years ago, I was really influenced by Seth Godin's book, Permission Marketing. And I was like, yep, that makes total sense. But then, you know, we hit the world of spam and we haven't quite arrived at that. But I think what blockchain or decentralizing technologies allow us is the ability to take take back control of our data, of our privacy, um, and basically say, no, you don't get to do whatever you want with it. I'm in control of it. It's mine. And I think it's a beautiful thing for individuals because now we're, we have the possibility for you to get paid for two of the most valuable things that you have that most people don't appreciate how valuable is, which is one, your data, two, your attention. And then if I if I share my data with a brand in a decentralized world where I control that information, I can give it to them on a temporary basis, on a time limit basis or whatever. Um, and then when that is done, I can take it back. You know, I can have an agent on my behalf or whatever. And what that does is, A, it's better for me because I have control and I don't have an Equifax or any one of the other 8,000 hacks that have happened in the last week or whatever. But, but B, um, it also puts... It also gives marketers an opportunity, but puts a burden on them at the same time, which is um, now you have to you have to earn and continue to re-earn that permission to use that information. Because if you violate the trust by doing something that I consider you know untoward or unseemly, uh, I say sorry, I'm taking it away from you, which means that you don't have my information in a database, and in fact. I think if you're a marketer today, like you could start thinking about a world where there's no CRM system. Like try to get your head around that one for a little bit. Like go to most marketers like, hi, you're going to have to do your job, but we're taking away sales force from you. They're like, uh, I would rather jump off a building. Like, sorry, you're, no, you can't have CRM. But it could happen when you have sovereign identity. And there are a ton of identity solutions that are already coming out. Like, Peer Mountain and Blockstack and Uport and MetaMask and all the and Civic and all these guys are trying to crack that code. But the, the the common theme is the data resides with the individual. The control of the data resides with the individual, and the data is given to people and uh, enterprises or companies on a permission basis only. And interesting the way you pick up on the CRM there. I think that the CRM has been fundamental to the way many marketers think about consumers. They see them as a record in a database when, of course, actually, from what we've been saying, we need to be seeing them more as empowered individuals now. Um, but I was also sort of reading um, Doc Searles' book, uh, The Intention Economy, and that talks very much about um, instead of the CRM, the uh, VRM, as he calls it, the vendor relationship management, allowing the customer to manage the vendors and how they access the data. And there's a whole project that he's leading, I think, at Harvard, um, pulling together different organizations within that space as well. But if I could just come back to the blockchain again, do you think 
it's only now that we have something as distributed and as secure as blockchain that we can actually make these concepts a reality. Um, and that um, what's changed is that um, prior, we, we, you know, although we, we might have wanted to have something like a, a, a vendor relationship management tool, we just couldn't put it in place because there wasn't a blockchain to, to put our identity into safely. You're right. Like we didn't really have a way to put that in place. But now as you start seeing these like self-sovereign identity or what some people call personal data lockers or personal data wallets or whatever, um, you, you're definitely going to see more and more of that coming on. And as as like you have artificial intelligence agents that can, you know, sort of take your preference and control and, and help you control um, your information, it's going to get very exciting for a lot of people. And I think even better, you know we've we've come many people i believe have come to just accept like these invasions of our privacy whether it's from the government or whether it's just by you know corporations keeping all their information in centralized systems that are prone to being hacked um I don't, and as sort of like that's just a fait accompli like we just have to deal with that as a reality of life but um there, there are huge consequences that come for that because the systems that are currently in place were not designed to handle the quantity um, and types of personal information that are being held in them. So, you know, we're very vulnerable and that's for me a little bit scary, but the horizon offers the possibility that by decentralizing that and offering people that control, um, we'll be able to actually, you know, um, keep our personal information safer reduce the risk of, of engaging in sort of these global marketplaces, which are, I think, generally pretty good. And, and I think we'll, we'll be able to just, you know, feel a little bit more comfortable that we're not totally uh, exposed. Not going to happen today or tomorrow, but uh, I think that there's, there is a possibility and, and I'm optimistic that we get there. And I certainly want us to get there. Could you just simply explain and maybe reassure people who are listening to this, how does the blockchain make the data more secure? What is it about the way the blockchain is set up that means that it's less likely to get hacked and, and accessed? Sure. So there are, there are a couple components. I mean, the first thing is because if we go back to the beginning, we talk about the decentralized nature of it. So the information is not stored in one location, because if you keep everything in one location, it basically becomes like a honeypot you know, for Russian hackers or bad actors. But by having it in multiple locations, on the one hand, you could say, wow, my information's everywhere. But on the other hand, that ensures the integrity of the database because the rules of the what's called the protocol are such that there's a way to maintain consensus. And if one of the you know, 5,000 computers on the network starts to say, hey, um, you know, Tim doesn't you know, lives in Rio and this is his bank account and everyone's like, wait a second, no, that's not accurate. We reject that. And the reason why they can reject that is because the only way that you can make um, an update to a ledger item is if the person or, or entity that owns the corresponding what's called the private key. It's almost like if you have the private key to your safety deposit box or something, if whoever has that key um, is the only person who can update it. So if you actually move to Rio or Los Angeles, you could say, I'm going to update my profile. And I'm actually saying that now I'm in Los Angeles and no one can hijack the information. Now, what, that, what, you know, if we can 
uh, cite a great piece of Americana Spider-Man, we could say with great power comes great responsibility. Love so that line. yeah, I figure I figured you would. On the one hand, it's great. I control all of my information, just like I have my private keys for Bitcoin and the and you know, I, I have it on my own, um, in my own wherever I keep it. The challenge is if I lose it or if it gets compromised, um, I'm screwed. <laughs> like, you know, there's no eight hundred number to call, or I think in Britain, what is it, zero eight hundred or whatever it is. At the moment, there's no recourse, and if you lose it, you're kind of screwed. And there are plenty of stories of people having of where that's happened. Now, I do think you're going to get into sort of a a world where, okay, I can authorize, you know, certain people to have access to it given certain conditions and what have you. The, the technology is just not there yet, but I certainly see. Um, that evolving, but we, we devolve responsibility from these centralized institutions that we theoretically trust, but have basically violated our trust over again back to the individual, which a lot of people feel uncomfortable with because it's like, wait a second, you mean I'm in control? So if I lose this, I don't have anyone to blame. You're like, yeah, sorry, man, you can't point the finger. It's, you're the guy on the hook. Like, I'm really sorry that there's personal and individual accountability here, but that's the deal if you want this greater safety and security. So we're sort of in this in-between phase right now, um, but uh, up until the point where we like, okay, we get the benefits of decentralization without having to trust, you know, faceless corporations as third parties. But now it's like, okay, if I trust Tim, then I can give Tim access and, you know, but Tim needs a second uh, uh, a signature also from my wife's private key because we don't want Tim absconding to the Azores. We talked about the, the sort of the way which blockchain has now opened up so many different opportunities and has massive potential. But what are the drawbacks? What are the, the sort of catches here? Is there some limitation on speed, on volume, or is it just that consumers aren't quite ready yet to use it? And I go with D, all of the above on that one. If we, we start at the bottom, you know, yes, the usability is, is just not entirely there. I mean, you have like, just if you use the Bitcoin example, like you have a place like Coinbase, which is sort of that on-ramp so it makes it a little bit more usable. But anything beyond that becomes kind of fraught with all types of user experience challenges. So that, that's number one. There are definitely limitations in terms of speed um, and scalability. Like we see that. But, you know, those things like it's the, the guys in this space and it's like 97 percent men for now, but definitely changing. And I hope it continues to evolve. Um, you know, they're well aware of these challenges. And so you see initiatives like. Raiden or Lightning Network or Rootstock or Prism or all these things that are saying, okay, how do we provide these, you know, the benefits of blockchain or decentralizing technologies as a trust layer, um, but do it in a scalable way? Because if, you know, if, if Bitcoin can handle like seven transactions per second and Ethereum can handle, I think it's like 30 or 35 and Visa can handle like 35,000 or whatever it is, like clearly we're not quite there. But you know, I think people understand, like, first, we have to do the raw infrastructure. Okay, we're we've done that. Now we need to start thinking about how we scale. And that's part of the debate that's going on right now in sort of the Bitcoin world itself. But um, yeah, this question is like, okay, we need to we need to improve it so that we can handle more things and do it faster. So right now, again, it's not there. For me, that's why it's super exciting, because you get to see like the birth of this industry. Like, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to, to watch it unfold kind of in real time. And, and that's why, you know, I basically 
left what I was doing, which was super exciting. And I love the company. And I was like, you know what? I, I sort of got that to the maturity level. I was like, let me go back to the beginning and, uh, you know, the landing on the beaches part, which to me is a little bit more exciting, although fraught with risk. But that's why, you know, we get to do it, I guess. The rush. Great analogy. Now, I'm I'm with you there. I, I enjoy being there at, on the beaches, on the bridgehead. Um, I think you get a, a really, you get the battle scars literally to prove it, but you also learn so much more um, than I think you would do if you were just kind of parachuted in this this analogy is breaking down but if you were parachuted in later um but you know i kind of wanted to kind of expand upon that sort of that sort of question as well because we've been talking about the platform itself um a lot but the people behind the platform the marketers the cmos themselves do you think that they have sufficient understanding of blockchain do you think they're they're learning and educating themselves and taking this, this the right steps to prepare themselves. What's difficult about blockchain and our sort of decentralization is not just a technology. Like you have to understand like game theory, incentives, you know, mechanism design, um, networks, network effects, like all of these things. Like this is a very there's a great kind of chart I saw, like a bell curve. If you can imagine the beginning of the bell curve is, you know. I don't understand this stuff. I don't understand this stuff. I don't understand this stuff. And you go up and then at the very top of the bell curve, you're like, okay, I figured it out. And then the other side is, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand. I don't understand. So it's like, there's this moment where you think you've got it. And then you realize you have no idea what you're talking about. But I I think it's like people ultimately understand, look, this thing is better the the central, the risks to centralization, the people who are deep, like I, one of my clients is Zcash, right? And it's it's I, look. I'm a little bit biased here, but in terms of a a, a a currency that gives you privacy as a default as a right, it's that privacy is not something that other people bestow upon you. It's not like the the queen can give it to you. It's like you have a right to privacy. And what what these guys understand is that blockchain is really powerful, but in its natural form, it can also be used to control and manipulate if it falls into the wrong hand or used in the wrong way. So they're saying, okay, you know what? We got to give people the option to turn on privacy when they need it. They don't have to be private all the time. And there's a lot of stuff you don't need to be private, but you should be able to say, hey, I want to have privacy. So I think, you know, like the, the passion and dedication for decentralization, for individual rights, for security, for protecting people's, you know, value is like so inspiring to me, you know, like, and and I have so much confidence and maybe like too much confidence, but I have a great deal of confidence. Let's say that in the talent that I've been able to meet in the last year and a half or so that I've been doing this full time. And, you know, I've been very privileged to meet a lot of the people at the epicenter, no epicenter of decentralization. Let's call them bigger nodes, if you will, you know, bigger nodes in the network. Okay. Like they're, they're attacking the issues and they have the right attitude and they realize like you have to just push on and, and, you know, figure out things as you go along. So I don't mean to yell, man. My wife's always like, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm not yelling. I just get really passionate and excited about this stuff. It's good to see that passion. And I think, you know, this time in marketing, just the broad world of marketing is so exciting because of the way that technology is making things just move at such pace and at such volume. And then to dive into probably one of the most exciting areas within technology and bring those two together with marketing, I can I can understand why you're you're so passionate about it. Just linking it back again to the CMOs, though, who might be listening to this. 
what practical advice do you have for them? What's the the one thing or the you know couple of things you sh- think they should go and do right away after listening to this podcast, maybe to learn or to to understand more about blockchain? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the moment within the wider marketing industry, there's definitely not a sufficient understanding of blockchain and its implications. Again, I don't think you have to understand the technology. I think you have to understand the implications of the technology. It's like you don't need to know that SMTP is the protocol that makes your email work. You just have to know that email is faster than faxing, right? So I think that's first thing is you have to kind of get your head around this. This is not like Google Buzz. This is a big, big deal. And I think it's worth understanding that. And I think as far as like, you know, how you get prepared, like this is basically my mission in life is help, you know, enterprise and senior marketers understand like what the implications are. But if I were sitting across and I've, you know, I had the the CMO of NASDAQ and Jeremy School and the CMO of uh, Dun & Bradstreet, Rishi Dave wrote the forewords to, to my book, which is called the CMO Primer for the Age of Blockchain. Um, and I, and if I was sitting with them and I have and asked and, and sort of gave them advice on how to think about the arrival of blockchains and what to do, the first thing, of course, I would say is go read my book, but we'll leave that till number three. I think you have to think about customer experience. You know, customer experience is sort of a buzzy word that sort of picked up a little bit of steam in the last couple of years. And I think it's gotten a lot of attention and rightfully so because of the arrival of social media. And I think what blockchains are going to do is is going to accelerate and heighten the importance of customer experience as a differentiator. But I think what that means for all of us, and I don't have a great answer for that one, is to figure out how do we actually measure customer experience? Because the challenge is each of us values experiences in different ways. Like you and I might watch the same Star Wars movie, but we might value it at difference between the, the value of the ticket. Or, you know, airlines do this. Like you and I value the same seat on an airline or an airplane very differently, right? But the customer experience, so how do we measure customer experience and how do we assess how much you know, impact a, a given activity is, is having on that one? I think that's sort of at a very high level. On a very tactical level, I tell people, look, you know what, go get your hands on a small amount of cryptocurrency. And I'm not telling you, I'm not giving investment advice or whatever, but it's really hard to understand this if you don't have your hands dirty and roll it up. So it's like once you have like a Bitcoin wallet or something like that, then you can actually see and touch like, oh, wait a second, there's no bank, it's actually on my phone, and here's the private key, and all that kind of stuff. Like, And all of a sudden, you start seeing how the control is with you at any given moment. Um, so I think at a high level, I think about customer experience. At another high level, I'd also think about <clears throat> realizing that data is no longer gonna be in your silo. Like, you don't have control of the data, as we talked about before. So. The, the arms race that I see emerging is almost like, okay, if everyone has access to the same set of data, which everyone's going to, because it's going to be on public blockchains for the most part, then it's who can make sense and interpret and analyze and drive insights off of that data in order to inform the customer experience that they want to deliver for their particular customer set faster, better, more effectively than their competition. Um, so I think that, and then of course you should definitely read my ebook like 8,000 times for sure. Brilliant. Where can we find your ebook? What's the website? Yeah. So you can just get it off of, uh, off of my website, neverstopmarketing.com. All one word. There's a link there for resources. We actually have it on the homepage slider right now. Um, but you can, uh, get there or neverstopmarketing.com slash blockchain marketing. So just to wrap things up and finish off then, what's the one thing? 
um, either an idea or a business in this space that you're most excited about as you look into 2018? Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty focused on on the two things, the startups and how they're innovating uh, on top of this. And I'm also obviously really, as a student of marketing, really interested in the implications of the arrival of blockchains and decentralizing technologies on the marketing function. So I'm, I'm like, I live at the intersection of blockchain Avenue and marketing street, basically. And that's our marketing highway is probably better. Um, but if I had to look outside of that, I, I would almost say like, I'm really interested in what's, I mean, financial's cool and that there's a lot of stuff happening there. But I think supply chain is one of the easiest ones to also look at because if you're a marketer today, you are going to live in a future pretty soon where you cannot just make claims that without proving, without making, without having them substantiated by fact. Otherwise, it's just claims and it's vapor and, vapor and don't believe you. So while your VP of supply chain is looking how to streamline it and cut costs, I think it's an opportunity for CMOs and senior marketers to go to the supply chain people and say, okay, how do we take all of this information and be able to display that in a way that demonstrates to our customers that we are in fact differentiated? You know, our messaging is based in, in fact and, 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 and veracity. And I think that that's a really interesting angle um, for enterprises is they cut costs by improving their supply chain through blockchain and they improve their value proposition by basically turning, making that information sort of publicly facing or publicly available or inspectable in order to, um, you know, drive customer acquisition, uh, awareness and retention. Well, Jeremy, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap up there because we've uh, kind of run out of time now, but we've covered such a lot in this podcast and I'm really grateful to you for sharing your insights. We started off by talking about how blockchain has already started to make impact, not just within cryptocurrencies, but also with the wider industries such as finance and of course marketing. And then we've also looked at the way in which it's empowering individuals to be able to take control of their data. And that is really sort of rooted in the fact that the blockchain now provides that extra level of security, which has never existed before. And then we've also looked at the way in which marketers themselves have, have got to go on a journey to really understand the potential impact of blockchain and, and really understand how they can use that and be really constantly learning, constantly putting themselves in front of this technology and figuring out how they can bring it into a into their organization and you know we've, we've talked about it before but it is it does feel like we are at the beginning of something really exciting something where we're at the the white heat of technology is delivering a solution which we haven't quite figured out what to do with but over the next couple of years it's going to be fascinating to keep in touch with you to check out your website and read i'm sure additional books that you'll be writing on this subject um, so i look forward to staying in touch thank you so much for joining me today thank you uh, tim for having me it's always a pleasure to talk with uh, other passionate uh, students of marketing. And, you know, if people want to explore this more, you're welcome to join us at the Never Stop Marketing blog, neverstopmarketing.com slash blog, where we have a phenomenal community of people who um, are intellectually curious. And, uh, you know, we all are humble enough to admit that none of us actually understand what's going on. But uh, in the hopes that we can uh, work together to uh, explore this topic, understand the future, and hopefully make the world a, a little bit um, better place, uh, especially compared to the way we found it. So uh, thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity, sir. Find more episodes at clickz.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on Twitter at Tim for Change. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ 
and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Click Z, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.